I'm just going to eat ramen noodles, you know, and, and struggle and just have the bare essentials to make this work. For over 260 episodes, Dwayne Brummett and Ali Albarigo have been sharing how to take your martial arts school to the next level. Welcome to another edition of SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Now here's your host, Dwayne and Ali. Hello, Dwayne Brummett here with Ali Albarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Good morning, Ali. After some technical difficulties, we're finally on. That's okay. You know, I feel good that it's you this time because it used to be me every time, right? I'd go on and my computer would crash and so on and so forth. But uh, hey, I'm great to be an internet security package here on my computer. And if I don't turn it off while while I broadcast, it it blocks everything. And it's like, it's crazy. So and I don't know why I forgot to turn it off. And here I'm going, what the heck is going on? So anyway, so special guest today, you want to introduce him? I will. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the introduction is kind of interesting because um, I, I just wanted to give you a quick idea of how uh, we met. And uh, Sensei Luis Martinez and I became friends. Uh, we, were, we were both training in one of the, the ninja lineage, one of the cons, uh, you know, and um, started off in one out of the two major organizations that there were. And actually it was Lewis's teacher that I met first. And he actually was assigned to come and train with me through my teacher from Japan. And then we became fast friends. And of course, after I left the organization, his teacher kept on going and he also kept on going. Um, but throughout the years, we've done some uh, coaching together, uh, you know, how to work out and have a successful ninjutsu classical Japanese martial arts school filled with integrity and traditions and, you know, those martial virtues that I always talk about that sometimes people get mad at me for speaking so much about. But anyway, without further ado here, and and is it Renchi or Kiyoshi now, or what is your title? I don't, I don't have a mastership title yet. Okay, so we'll we'll do the sensei thing, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right, awesome. So anyway, I mean, I'm so exciting to have you here. Um, You know, we know each other for many years, and I love the fact that we both do ninjutsu, ninpo, and jujitsu, and those classical arts. So for those people that are listening, this is going to be a great call for even even the non-traditionalists to hear how you are able to keep your style, you know, intact and not sell out, so to speak, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, so we'll go back and forth on some questions. Dwayne, Dwayne, you have any you want to start? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I've got a question. Um, you know, this might sting a little bit for Allie, but I'm just curious, were you invited to his wedding? Because I wasn't invited. <laughs> I was not invited, no. Oh, I, okay. I think he was being a ninja back. about it. Okay, first of all, let me just clear it up. We didn't call it a wedding. We called it a party. Um, and second of all, it was very small. But I did that out of courtesy to all of you guys. Because I, I, would, I wouldn't have wanted to make you guys, although I did have a friend from West Virginia drive all the way out. Um, but uh, I didn't want to put you on that pressure. And I know, Dwayne, you probably would have made it your business to come out just because I invited you. So that's why I didn't do it. But, <laughs> but thank you. So, yeah, it's been three weeks I've been married. It's a, it's a, it's definitely um, it going by quick already. <laughs> yeah. So, so what is it? Uh, what can explain to me exactly what you, you know, how long you've been in the martial arts and, and, you know, what you do and where your school is located. Let's start there. Yeah, so uh, I basically started my martial arts journey uh, at six years old. Um, I am originally from uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where Bethlehem Steel used to be. And 
I, I did martial arts. I did Taekwondo for about 14 years. Um, when I got a little older, like around 18, 19 years old, I was, I, I kind of got into the college phase and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do martial arts anymore. I just want to hang out with friends. And so I took a, I took a long break. It was probably about five years or so, maybe a little longer than that, maybe six years. And then I got back into it, but I always wanted to do uh nimpo or ninjutsu, right? Ever since I was a little kid, um, you know, kids would be playing you know, cops and robbers, I'd be playing ninja and samurai. Um, and I I would run around the house and my, my mom still has VHS tapes of me running around the house in my ninja uniform and not on Halloween, just like a regular summer day, running around in my ninja uniform, you know, um, throwing shuriken, rubber shuriken at my sister and, you know, just just running crazy around the house, right? So I always wanted to be uh, a ninja and I always loved Nimpo and ninjutsu, but there were never any ninjutsu schools where I, I was from. So when I moved to Maryland and I, what made me move to Maryland was just a, a job, right? I, I moved to Maryland and I was like, well, let me see, you know, what's around, you know, let me see, cause I want to get back into martial arts. And I found a ninjutsu school um, that was about an hour and a half away. And I'm like, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to go train. So um, I would I would travel an hour and a half uh, one way about three to four times a week. Um, and it's funny. It's funny how like the whole community, the ninjutsu community, it, we're all very well connected because I originally started training ninjutsu with uh, my teacher, Mark Sensei's first Nimpo teacher. So I think Ali, I think you were probably maybe his second or third. I can't remember. I don't. I don't know where. The, yeah, I don't know where the timelines fit. But um, I, I I started training with uh, his first nipple teacher. His name was Jesse Shanks, which uh, which uh, Ali knows very well. Yeah. So <laughs> and uh, uh, so I started training there, and then I was there for about two years, and then um, I I left that school and found Mark Sensei and. Uh, started training with, with him. And this was already after he had trained with Ali. Right. So and that's, that's how, that's how I, you know, got into the martial arts. So I've been in the martial arts for about 25 years. Uh, my dojo was started in about 2016, I think, um, if I remember correctly. And uh, we're in Abingdon, Maryland, which is 40 minutes north of Baltimore city. Uh, and we teach, we teach Nim, uh, Nimpo, uh, Jiu Jitsu and Krav Maga currently. That's awesome. Yeah. Are you mostly uh, kids, mostly adults, or, or a great mixture? What is it? Um, it's about uh, – we do have more kids, but the split is probably around, I would say, 65-35. Okay. Um, so uh, not just all kids, but def we do definitely have a lot of adults as well. Okay. That's great. We, we're about – we have about 150 active members. Outstanding. Yeah. So, so I, we always start like, this is a passion for me. I know, you know, that you, you know me and I, I kind of find our industry and, and Dwayne and I've had another traditional martial artist on last week. I believe it was with David Nemiroff. He's an Aikido, Aikido Jiu-Jitsu teacher, um, very classical martial artist. And, um, Lately, it's kind of like interesting because I see the posts in Century, you know, their, their Facebook posts or other business posts. They're like, who values tradition? And then there are those guys that will say, well, tradition is only a matter of what you've been doing for years. But I still think and, and you have a little bit of what 
um, you know, you know, because you've been to Japan, you've traveled over there, you've trained with the grandmaster who, who I was trained with. Right. And, um, what is your opinion on what real traditional martial arts? Because I still think a lot of American martial artists, they don't quite understand the word tradition and what that is when you go to Japan versus like what you think it is here in the United States, the buzzword. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I I think that's, I think that's, it depends on the person. But for me, we were, and you can attest to this, Ali, we were always taught that Nimpo is always evolving. Right. Right. Um, so, not you know, yes, we we train in traditional arts, you know, so, like, you know, we we throw shuriken and, and things like that. And we train in bow and arrow and things like that. Right. Which is very, very traditional. Mm -hmm. But for me to not learn modern uh, arts, I would be doing Nimpo a disservice. So, um, you know, I, I train in, uh, you know, BJJ now. And, you know, I, I've done some judo and, um, you know, gotten involved with some more of the modern martial arts like Krav Maga and things like that. And I've incorporated that into uh, my programs at the dojo. And I think that's what's made us successful is, yes, we teach traditional arts um, and we study the history because, uh, you know, we don't want to let it die. And, right. and there's a certain... Uh, with the traditional arts, there's a certain uh, humbleism, if that's even a word, um, to them. And uh, yeah, sorry, my dog is like going crazy right now. <laughs> I do it normally does that too. Dwayne always gets on me for that as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, he's such a yapper. But anyway, so there's a certain humbleism when, that comes to traditional martial arts. You know, when I watch a lot of the modern arts like UFC and things like that, um, Sorry, this like distracted me. Um, when I watch uh, like UFC, like I see a lot of guys, you know, they they show like no respect or anything like that. Um, and uh, with the traditional martial arts, it teaches you how to be respectful and have honor uh, and things like that. And I'm not saying uh, modern, all modern martial arts schools don't have respect. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying um, with the traditional martial arts, it teaches you a hierarchy how to respect, you know, the ones that come before you, things like that. So if that kind of puts in perspective, yes, we're traditional school, but we also train in modern martial arts as well. Yeah, I, I think that that is where the misconception lies, where a lot of these school owners nowadays, they're like, hey, listen, we've never trained in Japan. Like I had, I, I made a post and I, I talked about Japan and how I teach, like I taught, learned in Japan and yada, yada, yada. And they're like, well, you don't live in Japan. Why do you do that? And I said, but I want to keep my art as close to the source that I possibly can so that I'm passing on this lineage, this legacy um, of course, obviously, if there was a technique that says, you know, do this and it's all dangerous in our modern day application, I wouldn't teach it. Right. But at the same time, I want them to really understand like there's so much more like when I went to Japan, I felt like my connection to the teacher, to the art, to the form, to the system was so much deeper because I followed the Japanese rituals and the protocols and the levels of respect to my teacher and and uh, the hierarchy, but then also the classicalness. Like whenever I go to a museum in Japan, I want to know why it was done that way back 2000 years ago. Like what was the history of the sword and the this and the that. And I wanted to be complete. Like if I got a really complete education in college, I wanted to have all the answers for everybody. And that's what I find that's missing 
in this modern day martial art era. Right. Right. So um, you had some other questions, Dwayne, we'll go back. Yeah, I was gonna, just going to ask you, you know, what, what are your, what are your thoughts then on like the, the benefits of, you know, teaching a traditional style as opposed to, you know, being more modern with, with, I know you're intermixing some of those things, but, but, you know, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, you are teaching the traditional style, the traditional way. What's what's the benefit to the society nowadays with that? Uh, I think a big benefit is teaching just respect. Um, you know, res respecting your your classmates, respecting your elders. Um, it's not about you know who the best fighter is or who the best sparrer or grappler is. You know, it's it's really about uh, teaching uh, character development and uh discipline and just teaching your students like hey it's it's the world is not all about you it's about what you can do for other people yeah service before self mindset right exactly you know what i find interesting though is that you know we're kind of like the you know the science society like if it, it's proven in science it works right but there's so many applicants like there were times when my teacher i'll say his name tani muda sensei um you know would show me a move and in my mind i'm going like hmm, i don't know how practical that would be against a boxer like i once was at a seminar that he was teaching and this kickboxer um said well what if i was a kickboxer and i did this he said okay and he called them up and bowed to him and the guy threw a left right he moved back and kicked the guy in the groin with the tips of kushigeti with the tips of his toes this guy was like laying on the ground for a good 45 minutes like literally holding himself and and like he was going to almost die and he and he goes you see that's you know and in his accent the traditional martial arts you know like and uh you know he showed that it works still as long as you practice it that way now of course we could have done an mma application or he could have went into a kickboxing mode with him but he used his traditional martial art to defend against someone who is more of a modern practitioner. And that's where for me, it became like, wow, this is really cool. You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater just because it's a 21st century, that kind of mindset. Yeah, right? you're, exa you're exactly right. Um, I kind of saw him do the exact same thing. And when I was in Japan, uh, almost the same scenario where uh, one of the Kyoshis asked the question, well, what if, you know, uh, you know, I think he said a boxer, like what if a boxer swung like this or whatever, and he kicked him right in the groin in front of everybody, right? Yeah. And you know, we were chuckling under under our breath because you don't want to laugh out loud because yeah, he, yeah. he might do it to you next time. Yeah, exactly. You know, but, um, but yeah, you're exactly right. You know, it's with the traditional arts, a lot of them don't have rules. Right. You know, so like when we, when we roll, you know, as the BJJ guys call it, you know, when we're grappling and stuff, we, you know, we, Obviously it's controlled, but you know, we pull hair, we, you know, um, we, you know, go for the eyes, we go for, you know, the mouth, things like that, pressure points, uh, things that you're not allowed to do in a regular BJJ match. Biting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I've actually done that before. So um, uh, uh, Sydney, uh, my girlfriend, she got me in a rear naked choke once um and she almost you know she almost beat me and it was that one time i'm like i'm not gonna let her win and uh i just ended up biting her arm just slightly and she let go right away yeah. you know and i and i got her to flip over and stuff so she, she still gets on me every day about that that's funny though and that's really it but i, I think that it's interesting though i think that sometimes when i say like i, I if i teach a seminar on wrist locks 
um, I, I just did it like three weekends ago and I'm in a room of like 200 people. And I said, let's do it this way. Very specific. Like I was doing a Hazugake, which you would know in Japanese yeah, and yeah. very powerful lock, like, you know, yeah, yeah. and um, I showed it, but then I'd have to walk around the room and ask people to do it my way, not their way. Even though right. they just learned it, they wanted to do it their way where they knew how to do it and to be successful. I'm like, imagine if you learned it my way. Now you'd have two ways to do it versus yeah. one and you'd be that much more devastating. But people are so close minded to learning new things because they want to shine in what they know. They're not willing to become a white belt again and learn. the. I want to say Tani Muda sensei would say the correct way to do it. Right. Right. You know, because he was the only correct one. Right. It was he was the one who knew how to do it. Right. And by the way, half the time he was 100 correct you know right because he was that good but um all right cool so Dwayne, we have other questions we'll jump into like some of the business side of how you're functioning in this society doing what you do sure so Dwayne, you want to go or do you want me to go yeah go ahead okay so i have a question so now obviously we're ninjutsu we're we're lucky because we have a brand around our style so we could market the ninja aspect which is world now renowned but for you like um how did you bridge that gap you know i know you and i would talk many years ago about you know how do we do it without selling out or how do we get it so that where our school is commercially viable and growing without you know because sometimes our old traditions stop us from growing because we're so thick-headed or closed-minded i can't do it this way i just did a coaching call with a guy yesterday a, a free coaching call and literally everything i said he's like yeah but that won't work in my area that won't work with my style. That won't work with, I'm like, uh, I knew right away, like it would be difficult to help him because he already knew all the answers of why it won't work. So what are your thoughts? How did you do that? Like, what was, was there a mindset shift or tell us a little bit about that? Honestly, I think you helped me the most. Um, you were, when I first opened, you were my first coach, you know, and when I first opened, I knew that right away, in, I didn't know what I was doing right? When I first opened, and I think most uh, martial artists uh, struggle with this internally, is they don't want to, when they open a dojo, they don't want to get help. Because, you know, as martial artists, we tend to have big egos, right? You know, we, we think we know it all sometimes, things like that. But sometimes you got to empty your cup, just like you were a white belt. And, and I, I knew right away that I'm like, I need a sensei in business, right? I needed it. I need someone to show me the way so I don't make the same mistakes they did. So that's when I got a hold of you, Allie. And I was, you know, you, you taught me, you know, Hey, you teach ninjutsu, which is one of the best marketing tools. Almost. I think you said this, one of the best names for marketing is ninja. Yeah. You know? So, and I, and that's when I started my, I think you're one of the main reasons I started my dojo name was Ninja Abingdon, you know? Right. Um, so I use that as a marketing tool. Um, and you're like, you know, it's all about uh, using social media and, um, you know, using paid advertising and just, just getting your name out there any way you can. Right. And because uh, I think a lot of martial artists, when they open their dojos, they think that, Oh, because I'm this, grandmaster in this art or I'm this master in this art, people are going to come to me because I'm so good or because I won so many tournaments and it doesn't work that way. Right? right. People walk into a studio with a certain problem, right? A certain issue, whether it's they want to build confidence, 
whether it's they want to lose weight, whether they want social interaction. Uh, and there, there's so many different things, whether uh, a parent wants discipline for their child. And you, you have to figure out what that problem is and address it immediately and say, yes, this is how we're going to help you fix that problem or accomplish your goal, whatever that is. And you made me realize that immediately. Like, honestly, if it wasn't for you, I don't know where I'd be. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that very much. That's, that's awesome. I appreciate that. So By the way, that was a self-serving question there, Allie. You know, no, you're going to have a ton of coaching clients. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what? You know, Dwayne, though, isn't it interesting? It's like, and by the way, Lewis, the same thing for you. Like sometimes we never hear from the people that we've helped, right? Um, because they're doing well because they're the help that you gave them helped them become whatever they are. Um, and uh, then you never hear from the people that you know that quit, right? So sometimes, as coaches, as teachers. We're always wondering if we're doing the best job, a good job. Did we help certain people and so on? And it's great to hear. So thank you very much for that. And I appreciate it. By the way, Sydney wrote that um, it wasn't just slightly that you almost got her. So I think she was pretty much saying that you were you either bitter harder or uh, or you uh, or you almost got choked out. Uh, that's funny. So um, so Dwayne, I know you had another few yeah, questions. Sure. Yeah. So it sounds to me like from the very beginning, when you started, you wanted to, this wasn't just a hobby, even though, you know, martial arts was a passion and still is a passion for you, but you really wanted this to be uh, a viable business. Um, can you speak to the mindset with that? Cause I know a lot of us started it out as, as, yeah, I'm just going to do like, especially Ali, Ali started cause he just wanted bodies to beat up, you know, it wasn't even a business. It's true. You know? um, and so, you know, where, where was the mind shift? for you in the, in that, um, you know, in that space in order to go, yeah, this is, I, I need to learn, you know, not only do I need to get a mentor, I need, you know, I need to, to, to learn these business strategies and those type of things. Um, but you had to, you know, go from student to, to, to teacher, and then you had to be a student again in business, you know, that type of thing. So where was the mind shift for you? Or did you just like go in and you knew right away that, look, I can't do this on my own? No, I, I think I went in because uh, I had a, a partner before and I was kind of I was kind of like running the adult classes and it was I just did it as a hobby when I was working my regular nine to five and I worked in the automotive industry before. Um, and uh, I, I think the mind shift was when because my partner, he was like he, he's into real estate and he, he didn't want to do it anymore because it was cutting in uh, his time for showing houses and things like that because usually shows houses in the evenings and on weekends. Right. So he was like, Hey, how about you take it over? I know you can do well. Uh, so I, I think right then and there, I felt this huge responsibility to, to grow it. And then, um, at that point in my life, I was kind of at my wits end with my full-time job. Um, and I was, and I've had uh, some pretty bad employers to be honest with you. Uh, you know, the, the type of employer that you just hated working for, you know, and uh, and at that point, I was kind of like fed up. And I'm and I remember it clearly. I was making very little bit of money at the dojo, but I was like, you know, I was I, and I was making good money at my full time job. And. Uh, I went in and I was like, I was like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Yes, I'm making a little bit of money, but I know if I put you know, eight hours a day into this at least or more, I can grow this with help. So I think right as 
I quit my full-time job to work at the studio full-time. I think I was making like, at the studio, I think I was making like not even 30,000, right? I, I was making less than that, maybe 20, 25,000. And at my full-time job, I was making like 70, right? So I was like, I'm just gonna eat ramen noodles, you know, and and struggle and just have the bare essentials to make this work. And I, I called Ali, we had several discussions over the phone and he was like, yes, I can help you. Um, and I, and I think he, you know, he helped me out with, with pricing and things like that. And we kind of grew, you know, as, as I grew together and it just worked out, you know, I, I think, you know, putting myself in an uncomfortable situation, you know, where I had to save really made me hunker down and really work on the business. If that makes sense, because oh, it was, it was, it was a, a survival thing. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You you burnt the, you burnt the boat. There was no going back, and right. uh, it was either make it or break it. And of course, you weren't going to break it, so you were going to make it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, what uh, with so then with with regards to that, you know, you already went into it, it with the humility in mind, meaning that you you understood that you didn't know what you didn't know. That's one of the phrases that Allie and I talk about all the time, and. So obviously when working with Allie, there were some aha moments that uh, probably occurred. Can you share a few of those aha moments, um, you know, in your interactions with Allie and then being able to apply them into your school? And yeah, maybe so, it might even be something that was a, you know, a physical thing, but it was just like, oh my gosh. So two aha moments come to mind when I think of Allie. Uh, one is price because I was, uh, before I was charging, uh, I called around, right? uh the area and i uh figured out what every other school was charging so i was like all right my my mentality was and i'm sure this is with a lot of school owners i'm gonna undercut everybody and everybody's gonna come to me right so i think i was charging like 80 bucks a month or something like that right and uh which is very very cheap and uh ali made me realize like no it's not about you know, you need you need to definitely raise your price because uh, you need to add value so you can raise your price and and things like that. So you're you're getting paid more for what you're worth. And then number two, um, you uh, Ali made me realize uh, product sales. So um, he was like, hey, you need to like incorporate your your products with your curriculum and this and that. And until this day. Our, you know, our students have to buy certain tools or gear every time they level up. And my product sales went through the roof when I did that. And they, and they still do. Uh, you know, I do thousands of dollars in product sales. And Allie may, we're still using Allie's system when it comes to that. Good. That's good. Wow. That Allie guy is so smart. Well, <laughs> I can attest to the fact that, um, you know, he, he had brought up the fact that you know, when somebody joins, why don't you sell them a second uniform? You're giving them the first one for free, but why don't you sell them the second one at a reduced rate? Right. That was, uh, you know, game changer, small game changer. But in the long run, it's a big game changer. The yeah. other thing was uh, I was just selling one set of sparring gear. And he said, why don't you give them three options? And, you know, not everybody chooses the most expensive. More people choose the cheaper one. But the middle one is getting bought you know, maybe 20% of the time. And, and uh, you know, I strategically have made that, you know, that I make more on that than yeah. I do even the the lighter one, you know, that type of thing. So right. 
just some of those game changing things, um, you know, were huge with, with regards to retail sales, which that's, you know, Allie talks about that. That's one of the biggest holes in the martial arts uh, industry, you know, is retail. I, I also have one more thing that just came to mind. Uh, Allie told me, put your uh, logo on everything. Because when you put your logo on everything, uh, you know, you can charge a, a good rate, make some good profit margins. Because if, if we, as school owners, when we buy stuff from a distributor or a vendor or whatever, unless you're going directly to the source, we don't really make a lot of money off of it, um, which is kind of sad, you know what I mean? Um, but if you put your logo on it, you can make a little bit more because it's it's your product, you know, instead of, you know, uh, somebody else's. Well, right. just the, well, how about you? Uh, we, I don't know if you guys do water, but just bottles of water. We we get bottles of water. We put our little logo around it, um, you know, and we sell them for a buck. It's cold water. It's a dollar. And and every year I'm making six to seven hundred bucks just by selling, you know, water. Yeah. And I probably paid, you know, I don't know. I probably invested a hundred bucks and it made seven hundred. You know what I mean? You right. know what I, I just saw um, Master Chung Park, uh, and I used to do this. I don't don't do it anymore. I don't know why. I, I forgot about it. But he has a, a water bottle with his logo around it, and it's an intro. He has it waiting for every new trial that comes in with a little package of information sitting on the desk with like a wedding name tag, you know, like a table setting, you know, John Smith, and it sits on the table for those parents to come in with the water bottle waiting for them. So uh, it, it's them being greeted. Like I used to say, uh, and we all used to say this greeted like the president of the United States, like you treat him that special. But nowadays people don't do that with our, you know, we don't have that respect for leadership. Um, but uh, so, you know, treat them like they were the most important VIP that ever came through yeah. your door. Right. And I think that that's a, a big takeaway that people should really understand. Right. So. Uh, so cool. I, my other question for you, too, is this is like I know now as your full time martial artist, I know you have other ventures, you have uh, race cars and things like that and and so on. So uh, but for, as far as your dojo goes, like what do you find to be the most most frustrating aspect of running a school nowadays and i know some of the things we've chatted about but you know what do you find like every day where if you could just hit the delete button and never have to deal with that kind of stuff again and your life would be so much better um wow that's a tough question because there's so many <laughs> yeah, um uh most frustrating thing i guess I guess sometimes dealing with parents okay. um, for, for us is one of the most frustrating things. Um, like for example, I'll, I'll tell you guys a story. Uh, just, just last night, uh, we're, we're right now, we're, we're doing a, a belt graduation on September 11th. So, which is, you know, a week from week or two weeks from now. And, uh, we are uh, in our pre-testing phase right now. So we pre-test everyone before bell graduation because before we used to just do our bell tests and, you know, if, if somebody didn't pass, we would fail them right then and there. And, you know, you, you get waterworks and parents are mad at you. And, all, you know, I'm like, you know, I was like, this isn't working because, you know, it's supposed to be a special day, a happy day. Yeah. And so we, we pre-test everyone two weeks beforehand now. So if they're not ready, you know, we'll, we'll let them know, you know, Hey, you're not ready. You're going to have to wait till next time, things like that. So I, I pre-tested uh, a kid last night and he, uh, he didn't do well, um, during the whole second part of the curriculum, right. Which is 50%. Right. And, uh, I told his dad, um, Hey, like he's not 
entirely ready, but I'm going to give him one more chance to pretest because I know he can do it. Because he's he is a really good student. Yes. I don't know where the disconnect was uh, because every other student uh, that we pretested so far has has passed, right? So, and he's he's a pretty tough student. So I don't know. Maybe over the last three months, uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of disconnect or, or somewhere. I don't know, but. Um, I told him, you know, technically per the rules, I'm supposed to fail you, but I'm going to give him one more shot because I know he's a good student and I know he can do it. Right. And then the parent uh, sent me this long email this morning about, you know, um, you know, it's unfair, you know, that you didn't pass him last night and he's disappointed. And and mind you, I already talked to the parent uh, uh, yesterday. We had a 15 minute discussion on why he didn't pass. Um, this is what he needs to work on and and this and that. And uh, the parent was like, well, you know, you, you know, there there was noise in the background and class was going on and he has ADHD and, you know, just, you know, making a bunch of excuses. Right. And, and I addressed these these issues with him last night. I mean, he wrote a, a long email again, kind of saying the same thing. So pretty much, you know, I have to give him a phone call. We're probably going to spend 30 minutes on the phone about stuff we already discussed last night, you know? And I'm gonna pretty much tell him like, listen, this is a learning experience for the both of you. Right. That life is not easy. And mm -hmm. life is gonna throw you curveballs. And just because he has one minor setback does not mean he can't overcome it, right? Um, so I, I think that's the most difficult part is, is you know, parents always want the best for their for their children. And I get that but sometimes they don't know what's best for them and sometimes you need sometimes children need to fail in order to realize like hey life is not easy all the time you know what i mean yeah. so i i you know just, that's that's probably the most frustrating sometimes is dealing well, with i agree with you i mean uh, parenting the parent is uh the hardest part of this job when you when you uh, are doing it and and uh, them them understanding you know um you know where where you're coming from and all those type of things you want to show compassion and um they're still adamant about yeah. you know well my kid doesn't get a trophy and he should get a trophy because we paid the money right so he should get a trophy you know those type of things so um and i don't know how and you're not asking for answers but i just want to throw this out there for for the listeners is you know if you don't have some sort of policy and procedures mm -hmm. manual um ahead of time that they're supposed to read and sign off on i would encourage people to do that now does that mean that they actually read it even though they signed it no yeah that you can't make <laughs> everybody read it um but uh make, making sure that there's a policy and procedure manual that that uh, is in place and then um before the testing cycle happens you know that's one of the things like that we do is we uh, we let everybody know now look not everybody's going to pass not everybody's going to test this time. Right. We understand that uh, life happens. You you forget the information. You freeze, or you didn't practice it in the first place. Yeah. And so, therefore, you know, we're we're not going to allow you to pass, even though we understand that life ha life happens. And so, right. you know, we've pre and we still have those issues too. But we try to preframe everybody as much as we possibly can, um, so that we have less and less and less of them. That's interesting. I check this out. I this morning just posted this quote. Um, that was uh, the weirdest thing in the world to me is when people ignore what you actually said and the actual words that came out of your mouth, but they respond to what they feel you said and they don't hear anything else. Right. So 
only reacting to what they believe they heard or what they wanted to hear. So I, the other day I had a mom who did camp with her young daughter, a little overweight, cute little adorable kid. I loved her having her in class. And the kid would always hang around with two of the big tough boys in the summer camp and they'd pick on her eventually. And then I said, well, we could separate them. No, 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 don't separate them. So like then one day I get an email that says we're taking our kid out of the school entirely. Uh, this is not an environment where they should be bullied. So I wrote back to her nicely. I said, listen, I'm, I'm here to help you. I was bullied as a kid. Thank God I knew how to fight. I said, I want to help you. She says, now you're going to shame my daughter now by calling her a shy kid and whatever i'm like wow she only heard what she was ready to fight about right she didn't want to hear that i was part of the solution i wanted to be on her team i wanted to help her so this never happens anymore so it really all depends so like even with those students loose for you um that people are not going to test i had a good friend when people would say why isn't my kid ready to test he would respond by saying i don't know why isn't your kid ready to test and he'd, he'd ask and he'd say, do you know what he needs? And they'd say, no, I don't know. Well, here, maybe that's what we should discuss. And maybe you could go over it at home and right. maybe you could be a part of the solution. But I agree with you. If it weren't for parents and, and disloyalty with students, the business, the school running a dojo would be blissful. Yes. Right? Those frustrations are what makes us sometimes want to quit. Right. And right. Business anymore. Right. Well, I, but let me, let me throw this out here. I think, though, those tough parents are actually good for us because it it just reinforces the fact that we're, we're doing things, we're doing the right things and we're standing up for the right uh, values and ideals. And yeah, we may, you know, piss off a few people and, and they leave. Um, but eventually they were going to probably be the problem at the school anyways. So, yes. you know, that's the, I, and then when I first started, I would have never thought like that. Now right. I'm like, you know, look, these are the rules. You know, I, I probably would have done what you did and said, you know, we'll give him one more chance. Um, but that's it. Right. Yeah. So. And sometimes too, look, my daughter just finally passed her driving test the other day after failing three times, but she had three instructors that were so mean to her, like get in the car, start it up, let's go. Like, you know, and, and like they were on her from the minute she met them. And then we, the last one was a nice lady, sweet as pie, took her through like, you know, don't worry, you're going to do great. Uh, we're going to do, you don't. She passed with flying color. So it really all depends. Some people are just bad at testing versus yeah. you know uh they might be that's why you pretest because we kind of know ahead of time that they're capable so right. you could get them ready to go and then that day is just the ceremony right. well i remember i had a uh we we do we do um we got strikes now but this was before i had a strike system when you forget things to bring them to class um and i would if you forgot to bring your belt to class you'd have to write a report and we would just tell you what that report was on. Well, I had a mom one time say to me, and the, the kid was in an advanced class. So they, they had been with me for three years, you know, or more. And uh, the mom goes, well, it wasn't his fault. Uh, it was my fault, you right. know? And I go, no, I understand that it was your fault, but it's his responsibility. Right. And he says, well, but that's not fair that he's got to write a report. And I go, well, that's okay. I said, are you saying that since it's your fault, you should write the report? And she goes, no, he can write the report. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hate that. I, Dwayne, I hate that. I get that every day where uh, I'm sorry, his his uniform is in his dad's car, which I understand separated families at times have this struggle. Or I'm sorry, his top was in the laundry and it was still wet. And I'm going like, but OK, I'm going to give you one pass 
but you can't come to class not prepared. That's it. You get one pass and one pass only. But I get frustrated with like, don't worry, it's not his fault that we're late. Don't worry, it's not his fault. I go, I get it, but you're still late. And it doesn't teach him values and all that other stuff. It's very frustrating. It's, so, it's, uh, it's funny. Uh, I just want to say one more thing. It's funny. It's my best students who I never have to say anything to and always do what they're told, their parents always, you know, are always on their case um like you know the, the situation i remember uh, this one parent she's amazing amazing mom uh her daughter forgot her uniform and uh her daughter was like mom where's my uniform and she's like i don't know where's your uniform you know and and mind you her daughter is like 11 and she and the daughter was like well you washed it or whatever she's like that's not my responsibility that's your responsibility so you're gonna go tell sensei lewis that you forgot your uniform Right. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's that's the kind of parenting that's needed uh, yeah. in today's society. You know, hey, it's your responsibility. It's not mine. You know, it's your fault. You know, what I mean, right. it's not mine. Yeah, because how do they ever learn responsibility unless you actually make them, you know, go through the process of learning responsibility? Right. You could teach them the concept, but if they don't practice it, they're never going to get it. And that's why the martial arts is so weird for people. Like, that's why they think they should be passed in a test when they don't know their material, because they have never realized the value in failing the test and how powerful that is as far as motivation and pushing through and persevering and so on and so forth, right? I think that that's a lesson that should be taught everyone should just fail or not get what they want just for the lesson in it. Right. right. So we had a question on, um, we have a lot of good comments today too, by the way, we had, uh, Omar, who you, is one of your people or, or runs dojo, right? At, yeah. Dad. He runs a dojo in Virginia. Yeah. So he wrote, uh, do you think traditional martial arts for adults are failing or growing here in the U S uh, today? So what are your thoughts on that? And, and Dwayne as well. And maybe I'll chime in too. And um, I, yeah, I do think they, they are, I wouldn't say failing, but they're, there's, uh, they're getting less and less, you know what I mean? Right. Because I, I think this is my opinion. I think a lot of traditional martial artists, like what we were just talking about earlier, don't want to change. Right? right. They're like, you know, the old school way is the right way. Right. You cannot grow without, you know, evolving in right. anything, any business, anything you do, you have to evolve with the times. Right. So if you're going to say, you know, all right, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it like we did it in Japan and that's it, you know, and I, I think you're setting yourself up for failure if you if you want to make a living doing this. Hmm. What do you think on that, Dwayne? Um, I, I think you could be strictly traditional um, and still make a living, but you definitely brand yourself that way and everybody, you know, you're going to have to advertise that that's who you are. Um, it does narrow the market more, but I still think depending on the population that you live in, I mean, I still think you can make a good living with that. But I understand that, you know, I personally want to grow with the times. I personally want to evolve with things as, as, as well. So um, that, that would be my only caveat to that. I think, though, that with our society nowadays, though, that that evolving mentality is kind of what's destroying our world. Like, I'll give you your Dwayne, you're 
very religious person. So like we haven't changed the Bible. I know there are certain people that they're adapting concepts of the Bible and trying to change the way the word is perceived at times, right? Sure. But at the same time, the Bible is the Bible. And then you believe in it because it's got such a strong foundation for thousands and thousands of years. And there's no changing that when you have a strong belief. I think that people change the things that are important um, because they think it is going to restrict them. Like, in other words, like bowing, like, well, we don't have to bow, call them coach. Like, why? Why not just call them sensei and bow properly? You know, teach those values. That's the way we do it. You know, how to handle a weapon and how we use a sword or how we bow it into the kamisa or kamidana, right? And all these things are traditions that are in our lineage that we could still keep on doing that won't affect the way people perceive. In fact, I found that people like that more, especially the adult population, going back to the question, where people that are older are looking for that root, for that connection, for that spirituality, for something bigger than their selves. And, and by the way, you're never going to get the students that don't believe in that, but they'll just come and go, right? But you will, if you market properly, find enough people, like Dwayne said, you could in your population to have three, 400 of those people that believe in what you do, similar to if they went to a certain congregation and believed in that church. Um, but we have to be really careful that we throw away traditions to try to appeal. Like on Century Martial Arts, they had this bit, and Dwayne and I are pretty much on the same page on this, but it was a big discussion on what we should call our instructors, wh what they identify identify as they, him, she, her, you know, whatever, right? Like, and I'm like, why not just say sensei or sabinim or coach? Right. You don't have to identify their, their sexual preference while talking to them. You could call them what you do. Like, but they're all worried. This one school was all worried about how to address certain instructors. I go, I don't think it's our responsibility as, as martial artists to bridge that gap. That's a parent issue, not, not ours. So I think that we have to be careful with not doing certain things because we're afraid that it's not going to be as appealing. It may be if you sell it properly. Well, and like you had brought up, I mean, sensei is a is is a term, and right. uh, yes, did it originally probably only apply to men? Yeah, but but it's not a. I don't believe uh, it's it's a um, a gender term. Right. You know. You know. Well, that's like, like, for example, I'll tell you a funny story. When I went to Japan, like my first two trips, I, I never really sat in Seiza. Like we sit really high handed on our thighs where it's up near our hips. So I came from a very loose martial art where our hands were like thrown on our knees, wherever they were. And um, for like a year or two, I was able to do that. And then sensei said to me, he goes, hey, Ali, come, come here. And then I sat with him. He said, why you sit like girl? And I'm like, what do you mean, sensei? He's like, Girls sit with hands on the knees and you men, warriors, sit with hands high on their thighs. He says, you look like girl when you sit. And I said, uh, I never knew that, Sensei. I said, why didn't you tell me earlier? He says, I didn't know whether you wanted to be girl or boy. I didn't want to change that. It's up to you. And I said, well, no, I'm married. I, my, you know, like, and, and right away, I'm like, my hands are up. You know, I'm trying to prove it. And there are three different, you know, um, warrior women sit with their legs mid-thigh. mid, mid -thigh. Men are up high on their hips. Um, normal Japanese women will sit with their hands low on their knees, covering their kimono and all that. So it was very, very funny, like that story. And that was like with me with him, 
when we'd go out to dinner, I'd always ask them all these crazy questions. Like, why do you hold your chopsticks this way? Why do you put them that way? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And I got so many really cool historical things from him that I would have never learned unless I asked those questions. And that those things would go away. They'll disappear unless they're passed on. Um, and yes, some of the traditions are Americanized. Who knows like why they were made up, like the story of the ham and why they cut the ends off and all that. But right. But there's certain traditions that are very cool if you go and find out about them, if we can continually pass those moral values on to our students and, and the integrity and all of this stuff, those traditions are amazing. So I, I, I know we only have a little bit left, but let me throw this out here. Uh, on this side of COVID now, um, you know, I mean, I know we got the variant and everything like that. On this side of COVID, what are you, um, you know, how are you seeing your business? Uh, what are you doing differently or the same, you know, and moving forward, what are your thoughts with regards to, you know, uh, how this has changed business for you? Um, honestly, we uh, grew during COVID. Um, so uh, at first we, we we went down. So, and then uh, there was like a three month period from like when it started until we were allowed to like reopen again. Then we started growing again because uh, nobody nobody had anything to do, right? But yeah. martial arts schools were open, gyms were open, at least in our area, right? Yeah. Um, so that's what people were doing. And, um, especially, uh, parents wanting to put their kids back in activities because they couldn't do regular sports. We actually grew. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not saying COVID is not dangerous. Um, but we always treated it at our studio as not such a big deal. Right. Yes. Like we still like did, uh, we were cleaning the dojo religiously and we still do. Um, we were still, we're still doing hand sanitizing and things like that. Uh, students can wear masks or they don't have to wear masks if they don't want to, but I always treated it, um, as the owner, I always treated it as, yes, this is an issue, but it's not life threatening. And I think my, my clients felt my energy and like, oh, okay. Like we trust him. Okay. And not one person has ever, uh, gotten COVID from my studio um or brought it in or anything like that right um so you know knock on wood we we've oh, we've been pretty successful during this whole period um and i know a lot of schools can't say that you know what i mean right. a lot of schools had to shut down but um we we've always treated it as yes it's an issue we understand it's an issue but um as long as you keep yourself healthy and do the things you're supposed to do you won't have you won't have a really big issue if that makes sense right yeah and we're um we're kind of going through like we had uh our camp we had a kid who was tested positive for COVID on monday so we canceled the rest of the week of the camp Dwayne suggested um that maybe i asked the parents and get their opinion but i said you know what i'm gonna err on the side of safety so i shut down just for, for five days and ended up being like seven days everyone got tested towards the end of that six day period um, and only the one child who had it was the only one who had it. Everyone else tested negatively and we're back to camp for our last week this week. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's a scary thing. Like, you know, people, I know of a good friend, martial artist who's not vaccinated um, and uh, he got really sick recently and he's still going through it. So it is a scary, crazy thing. I mean, no doubt. It's not like yeah. it doesn't exist and it's a conspiracy theory, no, yeah, yeah. but uh, we have to be really careful. So I'm glad you fared well with that. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been, I think I've been pretty lucky, you know. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, good job. So, Dwayne, do you have any other questions? We always have our closing question, but why don't you ask one more? I'll squeeze it in. Yeah, I'm just curious, you know, what 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 you see the future for martial arts schools in general? You know, um, are we a dying breed? Are we a, you know, like, where do you where do you see martial arts fitting into the future? That type of thing? I I think, well, it all depends on how, uh, how the world's going to become, uh, because we saw a spike in business when, um, all the riots were happening and in Seattle and, you know, the marches and things like that, we saw a spike cause it, it was beginning to be almost like a scary time. Uh, so people were like, wow, like if this comes over here, I need to know how to defend myself. Right. So I think it all depends on if, 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 if the world continues to go in that way um i think martial arts schools are going to see a spike because more people are going to wake up and say i don't know how to defend myself i need to learn something right i also see uh, a lot of uh in the future a lot of virtual martial arts schools yeah um because we're becoming adjusted to staying at home more and you know you can do anything from home now you can do your grocery shopping your regular shopping Right. You know, you don't really have to leave your house anymore if you, if, you know, uh, if you really don't want to. Right. Um, so I, I see that uh, becoming a, a huge thing, almost like, you know, like the Peloton thing. Yeah. Um, I, I see that uh, becoming a big thing for martial arts schools and gyms in general. Yeah. My wife is addicted. We, we were lucky. We bought Peloton in like September before COVID hit and then a whole bunch of weights just to have because she likes working out at home. And uh, throughout COVID, we had this gym downstairs um, and uh, she's still to this day. She comes she, like at lunch. She works out of home. Sometimes she's like, I'm going downstairs, getting my workout. And she's addicted. She's such a such a regular training her every day. Never misses it. It's amazing. Yeah, um, I thought martial arts would get, was getting a little bit played out with doing online training. So if we ever were forced to go back to COVID, I'd revamp it entirely on how we would do it. I yeah. do that. I do more with the um, Zoom rooms. I would do more of that. I would do a lot more personalized kind of stuff because right now we're still doing Zoom classes. I have people from around the world still training with me that are still coming into my Zoom classes and training. Wow. Um, that you know, I, well, I say around the world, I have people from South Carolina, Florida, sometimes my Bermuda people, people in Canada, that they'll all of a sudden, and they're paying me monthly tuition, normal fee, and sometimes it's a group of a few, but um, but they, they kind of get lost in the mix. Like I'm not really paying, I'm just running the classes at three camera angles and they're training as if they were with me. But when we're doing self-defense, we have to turn to the camera and say, this is what you're going to do because you right. can't do it unless you have, I have a girl, she's got this whole garage setup where she has like a pool noodle with the glove on it. She blocks and does wrist locks and she's crazy training. She doesn't want to miss it. So, and she's from Florida. But, That's awesome. uh, so here's our last question. And by the way, the interview was great. I really enjoyed having you on. Um, it was, it, it's always great to be around other martial artists and I just love that. So, this is a question that's spiritual in nature. Um, so on your, you know, at your funeral, when you're no longer here, I know it sounds morbid. Um, what do you want to be remembered for? Like, what would you like people to be saying? Or what would you be want? What would you want people to have written on your tombstone? Like, what is your, how, what would you be happy with when your crap out date is there? You know, like what, what are you striving for, for that, you know, and, and so on. Basically, give us your eulogy, please. <laughs> I guess I would say um, just if, if somebody was looking at my grave, you know, one of my students or whatever, 
uh, I guess I wish they would say this man changed my life in a positive way. Because when I think back to my teachers, um, you know, Mark Sensei, um, Tanamura Sensei, uh, uh, Master Kim, they they all changed my life in a very positive way, like big time, like um, and not not just like little things here and there, but they really changed it. Even my business coaches, like you, Ali, um, and some of my other coaches, really changed my life in a positive way. So I hope I hope all my students can say that about me that. Hey, this, he was a really good person. And yes, like he might've been difficult at times, but he was trying to teach me a lesson and I learned a lot from it. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. And I think that your students will say that, you know, and that's important to remember. Like, I think for guys like yourself, I'm just saying this, but from Dwayne and yourself, you guys are really changing the world. You're the people that you touch um, it's not just those people, right? It's the families that are connected to them, the siblings that are connected to them, everybody that you've touched, they that they're going to touch in the future, right? Like it's literally just, it just will explode. It's a snowball effect. So always remember that, you know, like even when on the days where you feel like, oh my God, why am I doing this? That parent's giving me such a hard time or that student quit without saying goodbye or wasn't loyal or whatever, try to open up a comp competing school, just always remember that you guys have changed everybody's lives and you're still doing it and will continue. And that just kind of spreads throughout. So you're both awesome. So keep up that great work. Thank you, Alec. Yeah, cool. Dwayne, any final words? No, no, I think you felt bad for not inviting me to the wedding. That's why you just tried to talk me up at the end. So <laughs> I'm going to have Nicole invite you just to come and visit. <laughs> just to come, no. which I would like, by the way, I'd love for you to come out again and visit and hang with no, me. No. Well, thanks for uh, you know being uh, a part of the interview today. I just want to uh, remind everybody, there's past interviews, tons of information at schoolownertalk.com. Uh, get on iTunes and Spotify and all those other places. Subscribe so that you get it sent straight to you. Uh, and it's called schoolownertalk.com. Guys, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Martial Arts School Owner Talk Podcast. This would not be possible if it weren't for the support of our amazing sponsors please check out EliteInsights.com for all your website needs. LeadHunterMedia.com, your online digital marketer and content provider. Academy Kings BJJ Growth Consulting and Management at GrowMyAcademy.com. SparkMembership.com, the best darn software for school owner manager on the planet. GetKarateStudents.com, a martial arts growth consulting company for all your school systems. We will see you next time.